The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. That was like the, both what meditation was like for you and also what the discussion was like. Anything come up? Maybe, maybe one point again. But anything uh, significant or useful for you in any of that? Um, Sylvie, um, in the meditation, I was very struck by how you introduced impermanence, and I think I I understood it for the first time because I always think of impermanence as today and the future. So something is here today, and I have to accept that it's not going to be here forever. But when you spoke about this morning and yesterday. Uh, you know, in relationship to tomorrow and now, then in all those moments, I had different states of mind. And, and so I could, I could better understand how um, <coughs> it's not just about re relinquishing something you have today. It's really observing that it changes in all those yeah. times. Great. Nice. <coughs> and Judy. I think we were coming to the conclusion that allowing is better than doing. <laughs> Great. Uh, <laughs> That's all there is, folks. <laughs> she's going to allow it to be a pregnant... <laughs> A statement. <laughs> I can do anything about it. <laughs> Think about it. <laughs> we were, uh, in my group, we were mm -hmm. talking about... Um, the four subjects, except we couldn't remember two of them. So we, con <laughs> we concentrated on impermanence and relinquishment. And then uh, I saw Gil, and it really bothered me that we couldn't think of the other two. So I asked him, and um, fading away and, and cessation, thank you. Sorry. And that all made sense. It was like a cycle with the other two. Um, what I got out of it, because of something that's been on my mind, is how to let go of something that that tape is playing in my head over and over again. And it would be so, so easy, it seems like, according to these tenets, it would be easy to just let it go, let it fade away. Don't keep thinking about it so much. Let it fade away, let it cease. Relinquish the whole thing. And just move on and rejoice in impermanence. Yeah. And think of it as something good, not something to be feared. Mm, nice. And there's something, I think, very mature about approaching some of our preoccupations where we were caught as something that's going to fade away 
as opposed to we're going to find the button to turn it off, or I'm, I'm wrong or bad because I can't figure out how to just stop it completely. Uh, there, there's momentum in our mind, you know, and it takes, it takes a while for things to fade away. And so if you realize that and then are, learn to be patient with it, to be allowing of it, or, and support the process of fading away, allow it to fade away, um, then I think it's, uh, you can get to the place where it's someday where it can cease or someday where you can really relinquish it and put it down. So rather than being all like a big, important, significant person or something, to just be content with the moment-to-moment process of what's going on and, uh, and let things fade away. Nice. And um, so what, what you said about uh, it's hard when you're caught up in a big ball of presenting these 16 steps. Uh, before seeing impermanence, he has a, a, some, a step called vimuti, I think, or, uh, which means liberation. Um, so there's some kind of, kind of early form of liberation before uh, this fading way begins. And the word liberation is kind of a big word in Buddhism, but it means that something has, um, you're, you're temporarily freed of something. You're freed of enough of your preoccupations, enough of your attachments temporarily, that you can allow the fading away of the rest of them. So that's what kind of you described. You were temporarily liberated this morning from this big ball, and that supported that process. <laughs> yes, please. And your, your name? To me, beg the question of, well, what are the obstacles to relinquishment? Great, great question. Yeah. And our group came up with um, habit, um, doubt, and uh, wanting to be right, which would be a subset of me, myself, and I. Yeah. So, so admitting that you have something that you want to relinquish is, is interpreted as being, I guess I was wrong. So I'm going to hold on to this because I don't want to be wrong, I want to be right. Is that what you mean by wanting to be right? I'm convinced I'm right, and I'm not ready to give that up yet. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, have you ever relinquished anything in your life? Do you have, sure. you, do you have the experience of it? Yeah. Is it, it a, faded uh, away. What? It faded away. The relinquishing faded away. Came, so what you let go of came back? No, no, no. The <laughs> what I wasn't ready to relinquish faded. Oh, faded away on its own, kind of. Yeah. Nice. Very nice. Yeah. And, um, and is, that a, is that a nice... Was that good for you? Was it nice for you to have something fade away? Uh, yes. Uh-huh. And, um, so it might be interesting for you to continue reflecting on this topic. Mm-hmm. about what gets in the way of relinquishment. Mm-hmm. Because it's possible, that, uh, it's possible that your process is great, letting things fade away, but it's also possible you could go a little bit faster if you took a little bit more responsibility for what you want to let go of. Thank you. Yes, Trudy.
When you talked about uh, liberation, it, uh, now I'm wondering, well, how does that begin? Yes. <clears throat> the, um, the process there is the mind gets concentrated. And then with the concentration, the concentra concentrated mind, you can't get concentrated if you're still holding on to things. If you're still preoccupied in thinking and wanting and all that. So it's a, t it's a temporary liberation at this point, but in the way it's described in the sequence, it arises out of, that temporary liberation arises out of being concentrated. So almost moments of freedom from whatever you had before. Yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. Thank you. Um, kind of related to what Trudy was asking, I don't know if I, um, I guess I made my own, my own interpretation. I want, I want to know if it's correct or not. But what I got from the meditation was that when you ask if I can relinquish something and I thought of something, I really had this visceral experience of relinquishing that thing, which... Um, I haven't been able to relinquish, but having that experience to me seemed like a first step of really getting that visceral taste of what it would be to relinquish yeah. would help me go towards that relinquishment. Mm. Does that make sense? So, so some, some initial uh, small experience of relinquishment yeah. gives you a taste of what, so you can look forward to it. And, and oh, I can be willing to make the willing effort, to make it, right? Willing to make it, yeah. Like it feels like, a, yeah. um, you know, in my mind, I, I knew that not doing this would be good, but like really feel it. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I think, I, I think it's, to me, that seems very right. And uh, there's many things to say about it, but one is to <coughs> start appreciating the small letting goes you do in life and see how that brings you a sense of well-being. That it's, oh, and then slowly you can make, get let go of bigger ones, just, you know, Let's try this one out. Oh, that's good. Maybe it's okay to go a bit further. And then eventually you're willing to go quite far. But to go from zero to 60 in terms of letting go in, you know, five seconds is not realistic. In, in the spiritual world, going zero to 60 in the world of letting go, probably it's good to take some months or years to really have the deep trust and the deep faith and understanding that this is really a healthy thing and good thing to do. It make, makes me wonder, how is that different from self-control? Because, um, you know, self-control is, is a way of saying, you're going to do this and you do it and you stick to it. Yeah. Um, and I feel I'm, I excel at that. Yeah. But the way you had this meditation today made me realize that it's kind of different. Yes. Like there is this realm where that kind of like self-control doesn't, I don't know, it just felt a different level. Yes, it is. So I think we have some control or some choice over the intentions that we set. And we have some choice behind what we um, value, what we believe in. We might still have the belief, <laughs> but part of our, our wise part of our mind might not believe it really anymore. So you might still believe that you know, chocolate ice cream is you know, 
nirvana, but you're, and so you crave it, but you know, your, your wise part of the mind knows, you know, doesn't really believe it, but there's kind of this gut pull towards it. So you can, you have some, you know, so you can kind of realize, oh, I don't believe this anymore, or I'm not interested in this anymore, or it's not my intention to do this anymore. And all those don't try, don't require uh, controlling or making. It's more like changing the direction or setting the stage for something else to happen. Yeah, that's very profound. Yeah. So you can get to the same result by kind of not pushing. In the spiritual world, sometimes you can get to the same results faster if you don't push. Uh, Anne, uh, when you're just when you're saying that, I know in some Buddhist traditions they have something a little short verse like, "As I uh, stir this, uh, as I make this coffee, I will realize that all beings are with me, and I will relinquish." You know, you make these little verses yes. throughout the day. I think in monastic practice, yes, in many religions, it's like that. Yeah. But do they have that in vipassana? Well, vipassana technically is just a meditation practice, uh-huh. and even more technically, it's an insight that we mm-hmm. have during mindfulness practice. Mm-hmm. So, uh, vipassana is a pretty poor, narrow, oh, you know, know. Re- religion. You know, it's just a practice, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But <laughs> I think it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> we don't got much going for ourselves. <laughs> but uh, traditionally, uh, it's a practice that is held in the wider Theravadan Buddhism. Mm-hmm. And Theravadan Buddhism has all kinds of things. And certainly it has, I don't know if verses is the right word, but yeah. um, they have uh, all kinds of uh, chants mm-hmm. that are, which are versified, mm-hmm. that are used and memorized and repeated in all kinds of circumstances. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing as extensive as what exists in the Zen tradition. Yeah. Uh, in Zen they have uh, you know, hundreds of verses that were designed specifically for all the little detailed activities throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And um, brushing your teeth, washing your face, mm-hmm. eating, going to the bathroom, peeing, pooping, showering, yeah. you know, just, Covered. and the idea is to keep, I think it's a way of keeping the mindfulness and the presence going all the time. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I don't know of anything that, you know, that f- full time, that constant yeah. in, in yeah, uh, yeah. Theravada. But like before you go to sleep, do people say the three refuges, that kind of thing? Some people do for sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay. A comment that I wanted to piggyback on something that was said over there about um, obstacles to uh, relinquishment. And the, um, the last two you said, I believe, were the me, myself, and I, or holding on to something and being right. And then the next one was doubt. And piggybacking onto doubt, that brought up for me sadness and um, fear. Because sometimes I don't want to relinquish something. It, it's not a thing, it's a person. Or you care about a person and you have to let them go. It's a different, different thing than an idea or an object or something physical. And in that sense, it brought up for me fear and sadness. What would happen to me without that person? How would I feel? How would I go on? It's different things about that type of relig- relinquishment. And um, I really liked what you said because that put me on that path to think that. Thank yeah. you. 
So I think that uh, definitely there are times we have to let go of things like a relationship, certain people, certain activities, certain things in the world. It's appropriate at times. Um, I, I, I like to think of that as being, um, I don't know if this is the right expression, but um, it's our street smarts that tell us what we let go of in the world. Um, the, the real work, the spiritual work in Buddhism is uh, the letting go of the attachment to the people, the attachment to those things. That's, that's always useful. Whether it's appropriate to let go of a person or things, that we have to have worldly you know, smarts to know whether that's the right thing or not. Um, but I say that because I'm not saying, you're not doing this, but I know that some people in Buddhism um, overdo the letting go thing and they focus on letting go of things as if that's all they have to do and they end up being kind of like having no possessions and walking around being unattached to anything because they, and I think that's, uh, can off, uh, people who let go too easily and too much of things are usually attached to something. They're usually attached to being spiritual or something. <laughs> Sorry? That's an interesting way of looking yeah. at it. Yeah. Attached to being spiritual. Oh, that's a big one. <laughs> yeah, I have, I have a friend that I thought is one of the most spiritual people. Of. I have a friend who was one of the most spiritual people I've known, and she has a lot of wisdom, but she um, gave up all her worldly possessions, and went to Dharamsala and became a Buddhist nun. And then, then she left there after seven years and went to the Vedanta Center in Southern California and became a Vedanta nun. And during that time, she had no worldly possessions and she didn't need them, but she was intensely spiritual and knowledgeable. So I don't know if that falls under the guise of what you just explained. It doesn't have to be. I mean, for some people, it's really the right path for them because the lifestyle supports them. It's a really beautiful lifestyle to have no possessions. And, um, and so it's more like going towards something that's a really wonderful way of living, unencumbered way of living, as opposed to <clears throat> an aversion and rejection of the, the, the material things, the world. <clears throat> I think if there's an aversion to it, hostility towards it to get away from it, then it's when maybe there's some attachment involved. But if there's a, a, a sense that this is really a healthy, wonderful, happy, supportive way of living. Um, it's, I think some people thrive in that kind of environment. So I wouldn't automatically say that it's some kind of attachment to being spiritual. It can be inspiring to the rest of us at times. She said she developed a real sense of peace. Yeah. But nothing mattered. She just let it all go. It wasn't important. And her spiritual practice was all that was important. Great. There's, I've, I've told a story now recently, but <clears throat> so many years ago now, I don't know when. It must have been when smartphones were just like brand new thing and really expensive. And someone gave this monk I know, Ajahn Amaro, a smartphone. And like we were wowed. Like it can do all that and you can do email. And it was like pretty impressive. And, um, and it was, you know, I don't know how much it was, but maybe $1,000 for this phone. And um, so I asked him, you know, you're a renunciant. You know, you're like, you know, you're, you're not supposed to have, you know, you have this expensive thing. And how does that work? You know, and he said, um, well, first uh, someone gave it to me, but I figured it was only okay for me to keep it that if someone asked me for it, I would give it to them. Well, I was tempted. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 
I, I think I've been functioning the majority of my life on thinking that I could intellectually figure my way, work my way through things. And so, so a lot of like a lot of what Pema Chodron says, you know, like, what is the root of this? I mean, I would ask all those, you know, I ask all those questions, but it's still very intellectual. Like, I need to do the whole thing and figure it out and get the answer and then change my behavior and do all that. It was all very, like, it's all up to me. And today, with the meditations that you offered, um, you know, I've heard from you and from other people and read and everything how, how our bodies are our best friends and it's how important it is to be aware of the body. And, and you know, okay, but today I really, it really resonated with me when you had the meditation about how to deal with the mental formations and I really, I mean, I think I understand it but I'm not sure but the way I work with it was the the effect in my body that these thoughts were having. Yes. So is am I correct in yes. that? Yes. Okay. So what I did was I just focused on my body. Okay, this thought is making my jaw tight. So I, and this one is making my chest tight, and I can feel my head getting constricted. So, you know, I it, it's such a wonderful alternative and figuring it out to then figuring it out and it's and it's just like and and then and then that thing about allowing and making space made a little more sense yes. because i mean it's it's so obvious what my body tells me all the time it's so obvious and but i haven't believed it before i mean i you know <laughs> I thought my body was the enemy. I thought my body was, you know, really causing me problems. And, and so I was, I, I never really respected or loved my body, ever. Great. So this is wonderful to hear. It's music to my ears. Yeah. And so it's just like, oh my gosh, it just, it's such a wonderful alternative to feeling totally responsible for me uh-huh. figuring it out. Great. So thank you very great, much. Great, and thank you very much. So we should stop for a break so we can... Is it okay, Bill? Or you here? Okay. Let's stop for a short, short break. Maybe, I don't know if we can come back here by about 10 after, maybe? Um, and then have, we'll have the last little session before ending at 3.30. With little meditation, little wisdom, little, little everything. Thank you. <laughs> 